You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. First Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Samuel was quite an honorable servant of God. He was one of God's prophets in the Old Testament. He's spoken of in this way in Psalm 99, verses 5 and 6. Exalt the Lord our God and worship his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel among those who called on his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. Samuel was a man of prayer. He was a Levite, Nazarite, a prophet of God, a judge, and a faithful man of God. He was established as God's spokesman, for Israel. Now, as we have looked earlier in this book, we realize that there was a great lack of spiritual leadership amongst the Israelites. They had drifted away from God. Much of it that they did was in contrast to God's word. In other words, the state of Israel at this time was sinful. His people were disobedient. They had a high priest whose sons, acting as priests, were committing all kinds of vile acts at the temple in Shiloh. He didn't do anything about it, and so we'll examine that more closely today. Verse 1, Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel, Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer, where the Philistines camped in Aphek. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take ourselves from Shiloh, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who sits above the cherubim, And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with great joy. So the earth resounded. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does this noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? 
They then understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid. And they said, God came into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods, little g? These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become slaves of the Hebrews, as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And the slaughter was very great, for they fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came, behold, Eli was sitting on the seat by the road, eagerly watching because his heart was trembling. For the ark of God, so the man, for the ark of God, so the man came in to tell in the city, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does this noise of the commotion mean? Then the man came hurriedly to and told Eli. Now Eli was 90 years old and his eyes were so set that he could not see. The man said to Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line today. And he said, how did things go, my son? Then the one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people, and your sons, also Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been taken. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For he was old and heavy, thus judged Israel 40 years. Now, I'm not going to cover all of this text today. But as we begin this text, I want to go back to verse 21 in chapter 3, the last verse in chapter 3, which reads, And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is uh, controversial between different Reformed scholars. As we consider this text, the New International reads this way in chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. The Lord was with Samuel, and he grew up, and he had let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel attested as a prophet of the Lord. Verse 21, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, end quote. 
The Vulgate also includes the last verse of chapter 3 in chapter 4 in verse 1. So the translations differ. As we look at this, some would say, thus the word of Samuel is connected to the last verse in 321 in the Vulgate. And some other translation, they connect this clause in verse 21 in chapter 3, the translation having verse 1 of chapter 4, I don't want to confuse you here, that it could give the wrong understanding. In other words, if verse 21 gave the statement, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh, and the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord. Verse 1, this is a new American Standard Version. Verse 1 reads this way. Thus, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle. So the controversy is this. If some believe that this translation had been changed later to place verse 1 in chapter 4 back into chapter 3, verse 21, that would mean that God had anointed Samuel for a spokesman over Israel. But if he did so, in, as we read in chapter 4, the controversy is this. That means that Samuel would have directed the Philistines to go into battle. So which is it? We, we are keeping with the current translation here. And I want to make the comment this way. As we consider the character of Samuel, he was a man of God, a man of prayer, and he knew that he was a spokesman for God. So in other words, what he told Israel came from God. He was God's direct spokesman. spokesman. So being that man of prayer, if he had directed the Israelis and the elders of Israel to enter into battle, he would have consulted with them and they would have prayed and asked the Lord's blessing to guide them into battle. But if he did so, Israel would be called to repentance before they went into battle. God uses battles throughout the Old Testament. As we looked in, if we look at Judges, previous book, we understand that God judged Israel. They would repent and then they'd fall into sin. God would bring another nation to battle them. It went back and forth. Israel was constantly falling into sin. So I believe that as we read this chapter 4 in our current translation, New American Standard, we will look at this as literal. So as we continue, thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, as we looked at the other translation and the New American Standard versions, it mentioned something that... Samuel's words did not fall to the ground. What that meant is Samuel was in prayer and in communication with God. 
And when he spoke to Israel as their spokesman and prophet, he did so as the utterances of God. It would be like him proclaiming God's word to Israel. Now the elders, it didn't appear that they brought the Israeli army together in prayer. They entered into battle. And as we go on, we'll examine this more carefully. Assuming the first verse belongs to the third chapter and refers generally to the acceptance of Samuel as a prophet by the whole nation of Israel, verses 1 through 11 in chapter 4 sets forth several facts. One, Israel was suffering from subjection to the Philistines, entered into war for recovery of freedom, and yet suffers defeat. Two, Ordinary means of warfare falling against the Philistine, the Elm Shiloh into battle, thinking that would assure victory over the Philistines. Three, the visible presence of the ark at once raises the courage and hope of the Israel army and the Philistines with fear. They knew that the ark somehow represented God. Now, they were a pagan, pantheist nation, so they believed in many gods, little g. They believed that God was actually, their God, their idol, was actually contained within the ark of the covenant. So that's why they reacted. For as a counterstimulus to inspire the Philistines to conquer the combatants, the commanders of the Philistine army expressed their desire for freedom and not to become captives of these Hebrews. And the fifth, the battle takes place resulting in the taking of the Ark of the Covenant by the Philistines and also costs the lives of 30,000 foot soldiers, including the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. There can be no doubt that the will of God is being carried out in the triumphs as well as the defeats of the nation of Israel. God sovereignly unfolded his plan in that battle. It's an advantage to the world that biblical history, we give in written form the principles that God has given us for man to be governed by. The Pentateuch, which includes the Old Testament ceremonial law, was given to Israel. Some of the basic principles of the moral law that was given through the Ten Commandments, some of which are carried over into civil and criminal law of our country. God's chosen people, Israel, were given great promises in the Pentateuch. Some revealed that they would bless those who obeyed and curse those who disobeyed. So they're very conditional. Remember, this is in the Old Covenant law. They would be given the law if they were obedient, they were blessed, disobedient, they were cursed. They suffered God's judgment. So as we think of this, and think how some of the prosperity teachers today use some of these Old Testament law and try to teach and pervert it in such a way to tell that Christians today have to live out this law in order to be prosperous and healthy. 
and yet they have no understanding of sin, repentance, and God's grace and salvation. They distort and pervert the gospel. They will, of course, at some point in time, lest they repent and truly turn to Christ, they will fall under God's wrath in the final judgment. They will face a holy God and His righteous punishment. As we consider this text, it's truly painful to see God's people who are given instruction, who have a godly leader at this point, not repent. The elders wouldn't even call them to repentance. So we have a, a people that are God's chosen, set-apart people that were disobedient. They had no concern about their sinfulness. All they cared about is God preserving them. So what do they do? They send the Shiloh. For what? To bring the Ark of the Covenant. Now we're going to go into more depth about the Ark of the Covenant, but they were using it as a charm. They didn't use it in a respectful way, And under the guidance and prayer of Samuel, they did it to bring it in battle so that they could assure, perhaps, a victory over these Philistines. As we consider throughout all of Scripture, God always condemns sin and calls us to obedience and holiness. Of course, the New Testament, we know that God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Galatians 6, 7, Cornell did that before he began Corinthians, sometime before that. The blessing so eagerly sought by Israel for obeying his law was not always carried out because of their love of God, but rather for personal protection or personal gain. God's promise of blessing to his people Israel were given to them so that they would honor Jehovah God and be set apart from all nations. He wanted them to demonstrate that these were God's people, Jehovah God, and he wanted them to be set apart from the pagans. He did not want them to live a sinful, idolatrous life. 1b Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer while the Philistines camped in Aphek. Now the location of this is pretty specific, Aphek, but Ebenezer, that location, that was just a stone which wasn't even there at this time. This We'll see this in chapter 7 when they are in a position to define uh, what happened. That became a monument. Samuel used a stone, which he called, uh, excuse me. Ebenezer, forgive me. As we go on, the location of that site is not known specifically, but we do know where Ephah was. In the second verse, the Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. 
Now, the typical battle array for the Philistines as well as the other enemy nations was a crude type of axe. The axes historically were made of iron at that time, and they were hammered out into a crude shape that's similar to the axes we have today. The blunt end uh, tapered down, and then there was a semi-sharpening of the sharp end, but the damage it caused was by blunt trauma, not by the sharpness of the axe. They also carried swords, and sometimes they had spears, and some had formed a very crude form of a shield when they went into battle, but it was cumbersome to try to hold the shield and also battle. So the axes that they used were so crude, they would carve a handle out of wood, and they would take this iron piece that was hammered out like a head, and they would fasten it with leather straps. And when they're in battle and swinging that axe, sometimes the axe head would just fly off and they were left without a weapon. So they weren't reliable, but when they were used, they were very deadly. Verse 3, When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. This was a disgrace. The elders were seeking to carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle and use it as some sort of a charm. They had no idea at this stage their sinful state. They couldn't even understand or remember what the Ark of the Covenant represented. Israel was always to seek God's direction. If they were instructed to go into battle against any pagan nation, they would wait upon Jehovah God to lead them into victory. The Ark of the Covenant was then brought with the Israelites when they went into battle so that the enemies would understand that these were God's people. It was more of a symbol of bringing focus on who these people were. It wasn't a good luck charm. It was a representative that God was their God. God's presence with them uh, was not because the Ark of the Covenant, but because of their standing before God. This was another evidence of how sad a spiritual state they were in. So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who sits above the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. The text never tells us that Samuel nor the Israelite elders asked for God's direction or leadership. It does, however, say that Israel instigated the battle in verse 1. The elders did not consult Samuel, or doesn't reveal that to us, for direction or for him to go to the Lord on their behalf. Perhaps 
in addition to their sinful spiritual state, they did not consult with Samuel because of his youth. Perhaps they thought, well, he may be God's spokesman, but he's immature. Certainly he couldn't give us direction from God. So they didn't consult Samuel. The Ark of the Covenant was a box which was actually constructed out of acacia wood. Acacia is a very, was a very hard wood in the Middle East, very figured with grain, but very dense. The box itself was made of this acacia wood. It's approximately four feet long, two and a half feet wide, and two and a half feet high. It was covered with gold outside and inside. It had an ornament of gold molding which went around the perimeter of the ark. It had a gold cover. In other words, the lid was made out of gold. And on the gold lid, there were two cherubims, one on each end. And they were bent over in prayer with uh, wings straight up and they were bowing. The essence of it was to show that this was God's people, this was his throne, and the angel were pairing, bent over, giving praise and honor and glory to their God. Inside were the two tablets which God had made for Moses and carved on two stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. Also, there was Aaron's budded rod or staff, which Aaron used to show the Pharaoh of Egypt that God was more powerful than his magicians. And he caused Aaron's staff to actually swallow up, as we remember, the staff that the magicians brought forth and it had turned into a serpent. And Aaron's rod also turned into a serpent and swallowed it. It was also used to strike the waters in Egypt and they turned red with blood. It was also what he held up when he parted, when Moses called upon God to part the sea. So it was there, and it was later on that the rod actually budded, <clears throat> which was in Numbers 17, 1 through 8. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with great joy. <clears throat> Having brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp, which the army of Israel had camped, they were full of great courage and cheered because they had believed that the Ark of the Covenant would assure them victory over these Philistines. This act of arrogance and sinfulness on the part of the Israelites was just another display of what state they were in. The elders had not begun to go in battle against the Philistines without prayer, but they did. In verse 6, when the Philistines heard the noise and the shout, they said, what does this noise, this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. Now these pagan Philistines, uh, as I mentioned, were pantheistic and had many different gods in the forms of idols made of wood or carved of stone. 
And these idols could be carved out and carried with them in battle. So the various pagan nations were all pantheists as well. They did the same. So the view of the Philistines, of the Hebrews, was that this was their idol, but it was a very powerful idol. They knew that when God struck the Pharaoh with all the plagues and had parted the sea to deliver his people, Israel, from bondage, that God used this covenant, Ark of the Covenant. So they actually thought that Ark is what was responsible for the victory over Egypt and the Pharaoh. They referred to him as Hebrews. Now this came from the word Elohim, uh, though plural, it's used on the one true God, but in the sense has always the verb or adjective belonging in the singular, one God, three persons. In verse 7, the Philistines <clears throat> conform to this rule, and they say Elohim has come here, but here is in the verb form and pronoun, and the adjectives are plural. They speak as one who is a polytheist, that there were many gods, and this is one of them. The belief that there are many gods is commonly practiced amongst even some believers today, not believers, I'm sorry, but some proclaiming and professing to be believers. They have distorted the word of God, and they have actually fallen for another gospel, which is no gospel. They're unregenerate. Three Philistines, these Philistines feared what happened to the Egyptians, so they feared that the same plague would come upon them as soon as they knew that they carried the Ark of the Covenant. Also on the Ark, there were four rings, two on each end, and there was a pole that went through it. So it was carried by four men when they went into battle or moved the ark. Then the commander of the Philistines said this, Take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. As a judgment of God for Israel's failure to take out all the inhabitants of Canaan, God caused them to fall under his judgment. He allowed Israel to be enslaved by the Philistines. This took place in Judges chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. One of the leading Philistines' <clears throat> army at Aphek knew that his men were fearful. Now, if that happens in battle, when the soldiers who are confronting the enemy, if they become fearful that they're outnumbered or fearful that they can't overtake this enemy because they have superior training or superior weapons, they become fearful. Therefore, it weakens them. They don't have the heart to fight. So this commander knew he had to strengthen them. He said, remember this, you're a captive's. We do not want to be captives by these Israelites. Be strong and be men. 
in verses 10 and 11, so the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great and for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Now, as we look at the counts and the statistics or the numbers that fell in battle, we have to remember that the numbering system back then was very crude. So some translations will say 30,000, 40,000. Most historians think there was approximately about 28,000 that were lost in that battle. So we don't have an accurate number of actual deaths that were sustained. Being stimulated by their commander, the Philistine army fought vigorously. They were well-trained and also very seasoned warriors. But the remaining Israelites, those that didn't die, they may have been wounded or untouched, retreated. It says they retreated to their tents. The intensity of this battle was such that the Israelites knew that God had allowed their enemy, Philistines, to conquer them. They didn't want to be captured. They fled and they went to their tents. What's that mean? Well, the Israelites at that time lived in tents. They traveled, and when they moved or traveled, they would move their tent with them. So they went back in retreat and in fear and scattered to wherever their tents were located. So not only did they lose that many in battle, but they were so fearful that they just scattered. They didn't stay together. They went each to their tent. Every man to his tent means that they fled in every direction as well. Though the Israelites were outnumbered against a better equipped and battle-seasoned army, the Israelites lost the battle because they did not seek God. They defeated many battles, enemies of Israel with lesser army fighting. Why? Because God led them, he protected them, and he overcame their enemies. But here, he allowed them to take this toll because of their sinful state. Eli, in verse 11, and the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Eli, in his final years as a priest, had become frail and weak in his old age. Even when he heard rumors of his son's wicked and sinful practices, he did not remove them and have them killed. Now he knew the Old Testament law. Their sin was so grievous, they should have been put to death. He did not. As a result, God brought judgment upon him. The law of Moses would have required them to be put to death for this atrocious act that they did in Shiloh. They had committed grievous sins. They not only stole sacrifice, but even worse, the maidens who came to care for the temple and clean, they would seduce them. But these would not go without God's divine judgment and just punishment 
Back in chapter 2, he proclaimed to Eli that not only he would take his family, but all the heritage would no longer have the priesthood. So God gave him a great judgment, which he carried out here, beginning with Hophni and Phinehas. God made the proclamation of punishing Eli's sons as well as his future generation. He carried out partially in this battle, taking Hophni and Phinehas. God pronounced his judgment upon Eli and all his house. The priesthood would be taken from his line. That's how grievous his sin was. We can think about, well, why didn't God carry out immediate judgment? God is sovereign, and he's also long-suffering. But as one continues to sin without repentance, make no mistake, they will suffer consequences from a holy and righteous God, lest they repent. So the Lord began to carry out his prophecy upon Eli's sons and brought about their deaths in battle at Aphek. As he proclaimed, he would do so in chapter 2, verses 30 through 34. As we consider this text, there is several practical lessons that we can learn. We understand that these were God's people. We understand they were in a sinful state. They used the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm, as any pagan would do. And yet, they didn't serve the holy God that set them apart for himself. Because of it, many died, and because of it, the future of all Israel in the priestly line of Eli would be altered as judgment by God. So when we consider this, we must remember that God takes any sin against him seriously. He wants his people, his church, to be set apart from the world. He wants every generation of those who call upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to be set apart for himself, sanctified and holy. We can only do so as we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God and recognize when we sin, we repent, turn to him for forgiveness, and continue. We persevere because God working in us continues to transform us and to sanctify us. We have that privilege, and we can freely present the gospel to those who are lost, freely admonish a brother or sister who is in sin to bring them in right standing with God. So as we consider this text, and as we move forward on this text, even though it's a historical narrative, there's always precepts that we can learn and understand that this is God, a holy God that we serve, and we give him praise for what he has shown us in this legacy. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. 
We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.